I hate you. I'm so thankful for you. I long to be with you. This is unfair. I could talk about how great you are forever. I thought you cared. Why have you abandoned me? I demand better. I deserve this. Where did you go? I need you in my life. I completely trust you. I love you. All of these sentiments you have felt at some point in your life. Maybe even right now. So what do we do? What is our response when we feel anxious or betrayed or joyful, lonely, thankful, angry, discouraged, content? What do we do when we feel these emotions? How do we handle them appropriately? You know, all of these sentiments that we've felt in our hearts at times have also been expressed in Scripture in very bold, blatant ways. In fact, all of the emotions that I just mentioned, all these emotions up here, have been articulated multiple times very clearly in the Psalms. And we're entering into a new series throughout the summer called Soul Cry. And we're going to be exploring the book of Psalms. So we're in a series on justice the last few months, as you know. And as we learn through this series, the two biggest enemies to justice is number one, blatant injustice, and number two, apathy. The shrugging of our shoulders, a refusing to do anything, looking the other way. And as we think about our two biggest enemies in our pursuit of God, they're blatant disobedience and apathy. Where we refuse to do anything. We shrug our shoulders and say, so what, God? Which means that the two worst things that we can do as a church are to be intentionally disobedient to God and to be a hungerless, apathetic, passionless, and respectable church that just goes through the motions and plays at religion week after week. Do you realize that's the two most dangerous things we could do here at Renew? Now, I long for our church to be completely uncorked in our pursuit of God. The world has seen too many people sipping decaffeinated Christianity, and they're bored with it. And the Psalms, as we're going to explore this summer, show us what a triple-shot espresso pursuit of God looks like that leaves us quivering for the rest of the day because we're so amped up. So before we jump into the Psalms, we have to actually explore emotions. And I want us to look at this. Everything up here you've probably expressed. Maybe you've expressed it this morning. (laughs) But emotions seem to be one of the strongest, yes, yet the least reliable force in your life. Emotions can be healthy and unhealthy. They can be mild or intense. They can be impulsive or they can be ongoing. But they're hard to predict. They seem to overwhelm us whether we like it or not. Pain, suffering, joy, and surprise seem to bring out the most intense and strongest emotions in our lives. But emotions seem to be the catalyst that force us to ask the tough questions of life. Sometimes whether we want to ask them or not. They're really, really intense at times. Every emotion we feel reveals something not only about us, but about God. And they give us a glimpse into God's character. As Tremper Longman and Dan Allender, in this book that they wrote, The Cry of the Soul, which is a fantastic book, uh, said, we explore our emotions not to get rid of them. We explore our emotions not to replace the bad ones with the good ones, but as a way to know God more fully. And that's what we're going to be doing this summer. The Psalms are the language of the soul. And John Calvin said there is no emotion that you've ever experienced that isn't also 
expressed clearly in the Psalms. Try it. Try it this summer. See if there's an emotion that you have that isn't found somewhere in the Psalms. I think you'll find uh, that to be a futile exercise. The Psalms are a mirror to our souls, but it's also a permission slip for us to speak freely. And I want us to learn that that permission slip has been given to us. They're not some caged-in emotion uh, that's living in captivity like when we go visit the zoo. They're wild, raw, untamed, and in their natural environment, which creates some danger for us to explore that. But it's good because that's the way they live. Yeah, emotions force us to ask questions like, what am I, what am I, what's going on here? And even more pointedly, what, what am I doing with God? All the Psalms, the writer of all the Psalms is answering this question. How is it with my soul? How is it with my soul? What a great question for us to be asking regularly. How is it with my soul right now? And there are a guide for that pilgrimage of asking, how is my soul? It's like little kids who publicly and unabashedly express emotions and don't hold back. We as adults, we grew up and we say, that's not very respectable for us to say that. We shouldn't do that. That's culturally not allowed. But if you're around kids, if you're around my kids at least, they'll tell you exactly what they're feeling, whether you want to hear it or not. I even wonder if the psalmist grew up in South Philly. (laughs) Direct, brash, passionate, with no interest in pretense, or untrue pleasantries. There's no, I'll just fake it till I make it mindset. It is what it is. Whether you want to hear it or not, he's going to tell you. It's like the teenage girl who stands at the top of the stairs and yells down to her parents, I hate you! Slams the door in defiance and for effect. It's like standing completely buck naked in front of a full length mirror and saying, God, this is who I am. I got nothing left to hide, and I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. That's what the Psalms are. During one of the darkest seasons of my life, about six or seven years ago, I did something I'd never done before. I started to write poetry. (laughs) A lot. And I don't know if it was any good, and truthfully, I didn't care, and I don't care if it was any good, but it was so helpful for me because it's what I needed. It was the only way I could express the intensity of the emotion that I was feeling. The only way I could come to grips with deep pain and loss and hurt and betrayal and have any chance of coming out on the other side with my heart still intact. And I was surprised by the intensity and the anger that came out. It startled me a bit, but it also comforted me because it gave my heart the rails to run on because my heart very easily could have been derailed. And I love the fact that even though I was honest, that somehow in the midst of the rated R poetry I was writing, that God could still handle it. Then the psalmist writes poetry as a way to process the nature of his own soul, to keep his heart on the rails so it doesn't jump the tracks. Now we'll find every emotion in the psalms, but one thing you'll never find is apathy. You'll never find it. The psalmist knows nothing of apathy. In fact, it shows us that you cannot be apathetic in an authentic pursuit of God. In a sense, you know, we need this hunger, this longing, this passion. It's like the psalmist is telling us we need more cowbell, friends. This is what God says to us in pursuing Him. And I've got Ken up here, and Ken's going to be my reader through different passages. But this is what, uh, this is what God says to us about pursuing Him with hunger. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. 
Now listen to this passage in the Psalms about longing and about hunger. See if there's any apathy in this. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you! I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I mean, that's hunger. That is hunger. Now listen to another one that relates to hunger and, and see how it's the complete opposite effect of apathy. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you a few of these questions. When have you been most hungry for God? What does it look like when we hunger for God together as a church? How would that be evidenced? When have there been seasons of apathy? I don't mean dryness. We all experience dryness at some point. But apathy, this is a little different. Dryness says, I want to feel something. I'm just not. I mean, I just... But apathy, that kind of, eh, so what? When have you felt apathy in your life? When have you felt apathy in your pursuit of God? And what or who helps you cultivate the pursuit of intimacy with God? Are there situations or environments or people that really help you lean in the direction of hungering more for God? The interesting thing about hunger and, and hungering for God is you can't teach it. You can't. You can't read, you can't go to a seminar on it and walk away and go, perfect, all right, great, I'll be hungry for the rest of my life about this. We can learn from others who have a hunger for God. We can ask God for it. We can cultivate it. And the Psalms give us that map and that opportunity to cultivate that permission slip that says, join us on this pursuit of God. But if we're honest, if you've ever read anything in the Psalms, you know that it can be a bit troubling. (laughs) It seems that the psalmist is a bit emotionally schizophrenic. Have you noticed this? God, you're amazing! Shortly thereafter, Lord, dash the heads of my enemies against the rocks. My life is complete with you. May my enemies give birth to stillborn children. You're with me everywhere, God. Why have you abandoned me? The truth is that the psalmist, and David wrote uh, many of these psalms, David himself and some of the, his most honest prayers wouldn't be hired at any church in America because of this emotional instability. And yet, and yet, and yet, God says to David, you're a man after my own heart. In the midst of all this emotion and this startling like, whoa, I mean, imagine if he said that, like, in, a, in our environment here. And yet God says, but that is my boy. He is a man after my own heart. And while the Psalms give us permission to feel intensely I, and speak freely, I want to make sure I'm be, being really clear here. One of the things you don't see in the Psalms is an understanding that 
I can do whatever I want and I can feel whatever I want and I can say whatever I want to whomever uh, is around and it's the wild card that I can throw down to act unwisely. That's not what the Psalms do for us. We need to learn from the Psalms how to express it, how to be honest in our expression of that and how to channel those emotions appropriately to God in full honesty. And that's what the Psalms do for us. They free us from two major lies that we're tempted to believe as Christians. If we've grown up in the church, there are two lies that we're often tempted to believe when it comes to our prayers. One, that we have to hide from God how we're really feeling, as if God doesn't know. And number two, that we have to pray nice prayers in uber-spiritual language all the time as a way to try to impress Him. So we think we have to use sort of properly, you know, proper overly spiritual language with these and vows, and we have to start talking like Shakespeare and all this stuff, you know. And I go, do you talk like that in normal life, you know? Um, you know, there's people that feel like they have to pray and be so spiritual that they use, they say the word God in three syllables. You know those people like, God, you know? <laughs> And it's like, why do we feel like we have to do that with God? If Carter, my seven-year-old, came to me and said, Father, Thou art great among all fathers. May Thou bestowest upon me Thy blessings upon this household of a piece of chocolate to Thine oldest son, O great and faithful Father. I'd look at him and say, what is wrong with you? Who are you? Why? Because I want him to express who he is naturally, normally, in the way God has wired him to be. God is a big and faithful and loving God. And He loves to hear what's on the heart of His kids. Which means He can handle our praise and our anger and our feelings of loneliness and our sadness and and our hurt and everything in between. He can handle our honesty. We don't have to pray nice prayers. But the Psalms show us we have to pray honest prayers. Listen, speaking of honesty, listen to St. Teresa of Avila. I, I, I don't rank saints. I don't have like a fantasy draft pick of old saints. But man, if I ever had a favorite saint, St. Teresa of Avila in, in uh, Avila, Spain, this, she's from the 16th century. Listen to this prayer. It's the best prayer I've ever heard. God, I don't love you. I don't want to love you. But I want to want to love you. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? It's saying, I don't want to be apathetic. And the Psalms, in many ways, are that. God, I don't love you. I don't want to love you, but I want to want to love you. There's still something in me that wants to long for you. And I can't quite identify it. Refreshingly, refreshingly, the Psalms are free of trite answers. They're free of Christian cliches. And they're free of easy $5 answers to our million-dollar questions in life. In fact, sometimes they don't even give us the answers. If we're to seek God's heart, we have to first explore our own heart because as we explore our own longings, we'll eventually find, if we stay at it, that all those longings are met in Him. The Psalms are as comforting as they are startling. The psalmist smiles from ear to ear but also cries and sags its shoulders. It slams its fist on the table in revenge. It blushes in shame. It hugs and then sticks out its tongue at us. It weeps, it dances, it mopes, it sulks. It jumps up and down like Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch and dances with, with, with no restraint like Pharrell. 
It screams and throws objects across the room. The next moment, it wells up with tears of gratitude. It sprints towards us, jumps into our arms, and hugs us so tightly that we cough. It whispers, it belly laughs, it holds our hand when we're lonely and in need of a friend. It shakes its head in jealousy. It bites its nails and paces the floor in anxiety. It winks at you and then gives you the stink eye. It sighs heavily but can also breathe calmly and quietly. It lowers its head in despair and avoids eye contact because of regret. It whispers sentiments of love and shortly thereafter storms out of the room. But the Psalms will always put its arm around our shoulders. will lean in and say softly, I'm with you, friend, and you are not alone. But there is one who is greater here, and he is God. And this is how honest you can be with that God. He can be trusted above all else. He is big, he is present, he loves you outlandishly, and he can handle your honesty. That's what the Psalms do with us if we will let the Psalms be present with us. Since we're kicking off this series, let me start by just answering a couple questions. Like, what are the Psalms? Maybe you're saying I've heard of it. Maybe, maybe read one or two, but what, what is the book of Psalms? So very briefly, the, the Psalms are a collection of 150 inspired Hebrew prayers, hymns, and poems. And originally this collection was Israel's dog-eared prayer book. It was their prayer book and their song book, and it can also be our song book and our prayer book. See, the Psalms magnify our emotions, but ultimately they always end up magnifying God. The earliest Psalms were probably written about 3,500 years ago. The latest Psalms probably 2,500 years ago. Just to put that in perspective, that's like someone in AD 5,500 reading something that was written today. And the fact that it's been that timeless and still speaks to the human condition is amazing. King David, as I mentioned, wrote about half the Psalms. He wrote 73 of them. Moses wrote one of them, Psalm 90. King Solomon wrote two Psalms. And then we see sometimes in our Bibles on the headings of some of the Psalms, the, the sons of Asaph and the son, sons of Korah, and there are a few others sprinkled in there as well. Just so it doesn't get confusing, some people say the writer of the Psalms, right? There's multiple, but some people call it the psalmist. It's kind of the author of the Psalms. Paul quoted the Psalms frequently. Jesus quoted the Psalms frequently. Jesus quoted the Psalms in the Gospels. Jesus read, memorized, recited, and even sung the Psalms regularly. It'd be a normal part of his prayer book growing up as a Jewish boy. In fact, Jesus, hanging bloodied on the cross, recites part of the psalm when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that. Do you know that he's actually quoting Psalm 22? In fact, listen to why Jesus might have been quoting Psalm 22 when we read a little bit more here. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, 
I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. O oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Now, isn't that interesting? Some of the last words of Jesus, he quotes from Psalm 22. And those that knew Psalm 22 would be able in their heads to remember and recite the remainder of that to say, wow, this is Jesus. So if Jesus, of all people, had his prayers shaped and his emotions channeled appropriately by quoting the Psalms, what can that do for us? See, the purpose of the Psalms is less about giving us new information and more about addressing our feelings and emotions. In fact, reading a commentary or some thick academic book on the Psalms kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> it's like when you see a, a great poem, you know, it, it can really be ruined. People say, oh, let's break it down. Look at the uh, pentameter here, right? I mean, all that stuff. Like, we sat through that in literature class and we go, really? Let's just let it be what it is. Wild and uncaged. You'll notice when we read the Psalms this summer, they always start with personal emotion. I hate you. Where are you? I feel betrayed. I'm lonely. I'm joyful. I'm excited. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. They always start with personal emotion. But they always end by saying, but God, somehow, you're still enough. You're still in control. Even in my wild, crazy emotions, you're still on the throne of the world and in control here. Now, I want to be really careful here because the Psalms are different than any other book in our Bibles. And we have to be careful that we don't misinterpret the Psalms, okay? Every other book in our Bible is this, is communication from God to His people. But the Psalms are the opposite. It's communication from people directed towards God. Okay? So let's remember that as we're reading the Psalms this summer. Most of the Bible is from God to us, but this is from people directed to God. And because it's poetry, it's full of metaphor and imagery. God is described like this throughout the Psalms. God is rock, lion, mother hen, refuge, fortress, strong tower, shield, storm cloud, shepherd, warrior, archer, light, helper, chariot rider. These are all ways to describe who God is. It's full of uh, repetition and rhythm like any good song or poem. How many of you have been to a wedding uh, reception in the past year, past 12 months? Okay. 
How many of you uh, at some point have gotten on the dance floor for DJ Casper's cha-cha slide? Okay? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Slide to the right. Slide to the left, right? Take it back, y'all. Crisscross, right? I mean, are we, are we following here, you know? Right? Cha-cha, real smooth, you know? Everybody clap your hand. If we had time, I would have played that. We would have gotten up and done. And there's so much repetition in that. Why? Because when you do a dance, or, you know, it could be country line dancing, whatever, you enter into the song by this, like, normal repetition, right? You know, two hops, right? We've all done that. And we need that instruction because not all of us are the best dancers. If you didn't know that, you're not a very good dancer. I've been to receptions with you. But we need some instruction of teaching us how we enter into the dance. That's what the psalm does through repetition. And that's what I want us to see uh, this summer. So why are the psalms important? Because they are that guidebook for worship, Israel's worship, and also for ours. But it also shows us how we can relate to God honestly. But it also allows us to reflect and to remember who God is and what He's done in the midst of our wild emotion. So there are different types and different genres of the psalms. Not all the psalms are the same as you know. I'm going to start with, with, with one called the Psalms of Lament. You know, when you're lamenting, you're complaining, you're grieving, you're mourning. Now, this is somewhat startling for me, even knowing this for the last several years. There are more Psalms of Lament than any other type of Psalm. Of the 150 that are written, two-thirds of them are Psalms of complaining to God. Now, we come to church and it's easy to quote all the real happy ones, right? And, and I think 0% of the lament songs have been probably played in most churches in America in the past three months. But the majority of the psalms are ones of, God, where are you? I'm alone. I'm afraid. I thought you cared. Psalms of lament. And that's the question. God, where are you? Then, of course, there are psalms of praise, which we are most familiar with. God, you're great. You're greater than anything in the world. I will praise you forever. There's also one step up from psalms of lament. It's kind of a fancy word called imprecatory psalms, right? Imprecatory psalms are venomous. I mean, we're talking like spewing venom every direction. This is the anger. This is the bash my heads against the enemies. I pray that they're orphans you know, that they would die and their orphans would suffer. I mean, this is just like, whoa, dude, anger management counseling. I mean, that's what imprecatory psalms are. There's another one, royal psalms, where they see God as, as our king. This kind of national worship of Israel directing to God, their king. They can be great training wheels to our prayers. When we don't know how to ride the bike of prayer, we attach the psalms to help us. When we don't know what to pray, it's always good to reach for the Psalms. We can read them. We can pray them. We can make them our own. And one of the things we're going to be doing this summer as we try on these different uh, genres and these different types of Psalms is we're going to be writing our own. We may take a Psalm and actually then put it into our own words. We're going to try that out because these are training wheels to help us with great hunger, free of apathy, enter in to joining with God. So, let me ask you this. Where is the good news of this? We talk about Jesus and all that Jesus has done. 
where is Jesus? Why does the good work of the cross matter in, in something like the Psalms, even in all of our wild emotions? Well, here's the good news that's important for all of us to remember and proclaim over everybody here. If impressing God and appeasing His anger towards us depends upon us and our actions, then you better not show your emotion and how you're really feeling. Because God will be wildly unimpressed and maybe upset with you if you were to show your emotions. So if it's about impressing God and earning His favor and doing all those things, you better stop feeling what you're feeling, and even if you feel, you better not express them. But, but, if this is about what God has already done through the work of Jesus on the cross to say everything you've already done, it's already covered. You don't need to impress me. I've already paid for it. It's already done. You can just come exactly who you are, just as you are, and you can enter in. If that's the case, then Hebrews 4, when it says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, that means we can come in with the confidence, even in our emotions, that God can handle it. Say, God, this is how I'm feeling. Or, God, this is how I'm feeling about you. And guess what? He can still handle it. Emotion, even intense emotion, can be expressed. And the Psalms teach us how to channel that. It's always directed to God. It's always honest to Him. It's acknowledging a need for Him. That we can't save ourselves. That God is in control of His world and not us. And we are most aware we are out of control in times of crisis. In times of crisis. You know, that's the definition of crisis, right? Much to our horror, we realize we are no longer in control. That's crisis. And because of Jesus, you have a God who loves you, who pursues you, and wants you to pursue Him in all honesty. He wants you to pursue Him any way you can, except by apathy. Pursue God any way you can, except apathy. So here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to just take a moment to try this on for size now, as leaning in to what does a hungry pursuit of God look like. I want you to think about this. God, you are blank, and for that I am blank. Just about every psalm is, is addressing some sort of thing like this. God, you are absent, and for that I'm angry. God, you are deceiving me right now, and for that I am upset. God, you are faithful, and for that I am overwhelmed with praise. What does it look like for you to pray this type of St. Teresa of Avila prayer? <laughs> to take a moment and sit with that. What are the one dominating one or two emotions that you've felt this week? Maybe it's relating that. Let's just take a couple minutes of silence. God, you are blank, and for that I am blank.
And maybe that's something you carry with you this week. Maybe that's something you anonymously write down on your card. (laughs) But in our hunger and our pursuit of God, if we're unwilling to be honest, we will get nowhere in an authentic pursuit of God. There's something freeing even about saying, I'm kind of upset at God right now. I think that's better in his mind than, eh, so what? No big deal. Whatever. It is what it is. Isn't it great that God can handle all of our wild emotion? As startling but as comforting as the Psalms are, they're a gift for us. They're permission slip, they're full-length mirror, they're rails to run on, and they're training wheels that teach us how to learn the bike of prayer. As we end, what, what are some ways that we can engage with the Psalms? This summer, I want to I share a few things and be as practical as I can in terms of ways we can enter into this. Okay? Well, the first thing we can do is we can actually read them. <laughs> and I want to encourage you, maybe you can just start very simply by saying, you know what? This afternoon, I'm going to do Psalm 1. Or tomorrow morning, I'm going to start with Psalm 1. And then I'm going to go Psalm 2. I'm just going to read one. Some of them are long. Some of them are very short. Do you realize some of the Psalms are two or three verses long? don't have to take long. And maybe you want to read it on your own. Maybe it would be better if you just put the Bible in the middle of your your dining room table and just decided to read it before you went off to work or before you went to bed at night with your family or your roommate or your spouse or whatever it may be. So just read them and maybe even read them in different translations. I find if I can read them in different translations, it actually helps me engage with them a little bit deeper. So, we can read them. Second of all, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the Justice series, we were redoing the book table concept. <laughs> and so what we did is we had books just on justice back there for you. Many of you, many checked those books out, which was great. And uh, when you're done, we'd like those back, okay? So uh, please make sure you return those, and when you're done, just scratch it off the list back there. But we have a whole new slew of books just on the Psalms. And if you say, I want to engage in this, there's a bunch of books, I don't know which one to start, come talk to Doug or myself. And we'd be glad to say, oh, let's recommend this one. Or why don't you try this one? And when you're done, I'd love to hear what you're learning or how the Psalms are becoming a part of who you are and being the training wheels for your prayers. I I mentioned this book, The The Cry of the Soul. And this is a great one. If you'd like to borrow it, uh, feel free to come up. How Our Emotions Reveal Our Deepest Questions About God. And it's got a few chapters in it just on the Psalms. So even if you're visiting with us, that's fine. We're, we're, we're grateful for that. Just look at the books, write your name and info down, and uh, just make sure you bring it back and scratch it off the list when you've returned it. Uh, that would be helpful. But we do that as a resource to you. So at the, at the uh, intermission, please uh, take a moment to go back there and to look at that. As far as cultivating a hunger for God, they're not here this morning, but Tim and Cindy Culp at their house every Tuesday night at 7.30 in their living room. Uh, rain or shine, they host prayer meeting. And if you are just saying, you know what, I don't have a hunger for God, but I need to be around people who are hungering for God because I think that would help cultivate in me what a hunger for God might look like. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And join us for that time. It's a beautiful time to hunger for God together. And it's helped me immensely. Sometimes I walk in and I've said, man, I'm tired, I've been distracted, I'm stressed, it's been a full day. But I leave going, wow, 
God, you are great. And I'm grateful to be among others who are wanting to pursue uh, in that same way. So Tuesday nights at the Culps in North Wales, I want to encourage you to do that. The other, as Doug mentioned in the, in the Lansdale House Church, being up here for prayer. We try to have during communion people up here to pray. And I know that can be kind of scary. And what are people going to think of me if I go up and ask for prayer? And people are going to think my life's a mess. And guess what? You're high maintenance. That's the good news of Jesus. If you aren't high maintenance, I think you're wasting your time being here. The good news of Jesus is you are high maintenance and He still loves you anyway. So if we can get over ourselves and say, you know what? I just need somebody to pray for me. I don't even know how. I don't even know why. I can't even articulate it. Will you pray for me? And if you don't know what to pray, just say, can you pray that I just have a hunger for God? I'd have just a relentless pursuit of God, even if it was just completely wild and rated R. I just want to pursue God. And maybe one thing you want to do during intermission or worship is hang on to that index card before you actually hang it up here on the, on the line. And maybe you want to write your own, or maybe you want to take some additional cards back there and actually write your own psalm. And you can hang it up here or stick it in your Bible. Well, like I said, we're going to be doing more and more of that. But write your own psalms. Change the pronouns. Make it your own. Write your name into them. But use it as a way to let it get inside of you and, and into each uh, cell, on the cell level of who you are, that we would hunger for God. That's been my prayer. That's what I prayed this morning for our church, that above all else, we would be accused of being people who hungered for God. Because if we hunger for God, I'm not sure many things would stand in our way of trying to thwart what God may want to do in us and through us and in our area. So that's my prayer and my hope for us as we try to be very practical and leaning into the Psalms and ask the wild questions in your house church to say, what the heck is this one about? I mean, how do I rationalize this guy wants people to give birth to stillborn children? Can I pray that? Ask those questions in your house church. Don't hold back. Engage with these. Let it run wild. Open, uh, bust the lock and let, it, let, let it, the, it come uncaged. Let it run wild. Let it mess with us a little bit. Well, I'd like for us to pray as we end this time and transition into intermission, but I'd like for us to pray the Psalms. And so I'd like for all of us as we end uh, the teaching here, would you stand with us? And, and Ken is going to read... Psalm 25 from the message as we end our teaching time. My head is high, God, held high. I'm looking to you, God. No hangdog skulking for me. I've thrown in my lot with you. You won't embarrass me, will you? Or let my enemies get the best of me? Don't embarrass any of us. Who went out on a limb for you? It's the traitors who should be humiliated. Show me how you work, God. School me in your ways. Take me by the hand. Lead me down the path of truth. You are my Savior, aren't you? Mark the milestones of your mercy and love, God. Rebuild the ancient landmarks. Forget that I sowed wild oats. Mark me with your sign of love. 
Plan only the best for me, God. God is fair and just. He corrects the misdirected, sends them in the right direction. He gives the rejects his hand and leads them step by step. From now on, every road you travel will take you to God. Follow the covenant signs. Read the charted directions. Keep up your reputation, God. Forgive my bad life. It's been a very bad life. My question, what are God worshipers like? Your answer, arrows aimed at God's bullseye. They settle down in a promised place. Their kids inherit a prosperous farm. God's friendship is for God worshipers. They're the ones he confides in. If I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. Look at me and help me. I'm all alone and in big trouble. My heart and kidneys are fighting each other. Call a truce to this civil war. Take a hard look at my life of hard labor, then lift this ton of sin. Do you see how many people have it in for me? How vicious they hate me? Keep watch over me and keep me out of trouble. Don't let me down when I run to you. Use all your skill to put me together. I wait to see your finished product. God, give your people a break from this run of bad luck. Amen. Amen.